And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to On The Ball, the Norwich City podcast that has a message to the young podcast that you can come from Norwich and break through. What you really need when you're a podcast with a lot to cover after a long break is a quiet game with few talking points. So this weekend wasn't ideal. Uh, Norwich City struggled with Leeds and Leeds. See what I did there on Saturday, going down 3-2. And that was after it all looked so good at 4pm at Carrow Road. Uh, Wagner's tweaking. Was it as ill-advised as the first time he met Johnny Rowe or are Leeds just a little bit better than us? We'll tackle Spring it Somerville, the fall-off in the second half and ask if we're set for a winter of discontent. Plus, Dan will probably say something about the number of wingers on the bench. And that's before we even mention Daniel Farker. His return concluded the way it all ended at Carrow Road from his Norwich City manager with Leeds winning. Just how much do we miss his lovely German analogies and chaotic attacking mid-game changes? And how many hand clap emojis does he deserve for the double hashtag classy gestures of not celebrating a winner and saluting the Norwich City fans after the game? Plus, we get our rave on as Norwich City hire Napa and try to pretend we're clued up on Arsenal's loan manager. We'll ignore the fact that we've lost a game 6-2 since we were last on, answer any of your questions and do a quick check to see if any of the panel have been approached by a Bayern Munich podcast. I'm Steve Sanders, aka at NCFC Numbers, and we've stuck with our Kenny and Sarah pairing tonight. The engine room, creative outlets and defensive shield all rolled into one. Um, firstly, we've got the, the second finest Daniel in Norwich City's history. Uh, it's it's Mr. Dan Brigham. Dan, how are you doing? I'm great, Steve. How are you doing? I'm, I'm uh, equally great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I feel like I didn't suffer quite as much as you did in getting to the game at the weekend. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I don't know. Do you want, do you want to do a, a long spiel on that or, or should we just uh, leave it to the listener's imagination? No, no, no. Just a just a very lengthy journey uh, there and there and back, but uh, not quite in the running for fan of the season though. With the length, I don't think. <laughs> not going to be troubling know. last year's uh, uh, the Irish Canary travels over from Dublin every day. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say I don't I don't know who is in the running for fan of the season, but I mean Westie has to be quite a big front runner at this point, right? Yeah, I think you're going to have to go some. I mean, you maybe you'll raise five hundred thousand pounds for charity, whatever it was as well. <laughs> Let's, let's not rule it out in the next uh, six months or so. Um, and uh, just like England's ODI team, we are lost without Morgan. Uh, <laughs> so we've decided to welcome Zoe back, uh, which is good because, uh, you know, we love having Zoe on. So uh, how are you doing, Zoe? I am good. Thank you, Steve. Yes, just recovering from the journey to and from the game. Uh, Storm Babette tried to stop us uh, seeing Daniel Parker again, but... She would not win out. We got there in the end. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that there probably some of the listeners had equal kind of flood related mishaps and disasters on Saturday and Friday. Um, the comments are open for any any stories you might have. Um, 
I just got a bit wet walking in and that was it. Um, so <laughs> I can't, uh, uh, yes, I can't compete. Um, right on cue, uh, the first, uh, one of the first comments we've had from, uh, from Alex is, uh, I thought this had ended. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I did. As well. I thought we were just here for a nice yeah. chat. I didn't realise we were going live with this. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, we've we've turned the stream on. Which, um, uh, you know, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, we we are back. Um, and I suppose just to give a kind of state of play and do a bit, a quick bit of housekeeping. Um, those of you who who had had kind of followed us the previous time around will will have noticed that we haven't done this podcast much this season. Um, and I've hosted the last couple. Um. Michael is off doing uh, some big boy journo stuff for the Athletic. Um, in fact, I think he's doing the blog for uh, Spurs versus Fulham tonight. So um, obviously, don't follow that. Just listen to this if you're if you're listening live. Uh, but he's uh, he's keeping the YouTube and the podcast channel. So we're we're effectively um, squatting in his spare flat and you know, keeping the place warm. Um, we are intending to do pods more regularly over the next couple of months, uh, if not every week. So same time, same place. Uh, but it'll be me in the chair for a bit and Michael might even make the odd appearance too. Uh, so yeah, we'll be grateful if you uh, want to join us in spite of all of that. And I hope that's okay with everyone. Um, that's uh, that's enough apologising on behalf of the podcast. Let's do some uh, apologising on behalf of the football club. It's our headline act. Uh, yeah, speaking of the downgrade from uh, from Michael as host to me, uh, how about uh, Daniel Farker to David Wagner? Uh, he's showing Norwich City uh, exactly what they're missing by orchestrating comeback from 2-0 down uh, to 3-2 up for Leeds United on Saturday. It was the first time since 1956 that Norwich City have lost at Curry Road when they've been two goals up at half-time and the first time they've lost anywhere uh, when they've been two up at half-time since uh, 1999. Um, Zoe, I've, I've read Dan's along come Norwich piece so I'm, I'm com- going to come to you first for some for some levity um this uh it felt to me like that was everything good and everything bad about uh this Norwich City team across sort of 90 odd minutes so um I mean what what was your assessment of a pretty chaotic game yeah it was uh it was sort of the season in a in microcosm wasn't it it was uh the first half surprisingly surprisingly exciting surprisingly good I think Pre-match, not many fans had maybe given Norwich a chance. I think the feeling was quite was quite negative pre-match. Obviously, there's the immediate sort of horror whenever our team sheet goes up that it you know it's nowhere near going to be good enough. Um, so I think sort of that that start that first half was uh, was far more positive than we were perhaps expecting. Play some quite nice football um, in parts of it. Obviously, went two two nil up. Um, Leeds. <laughs> Leeds missed a lot of chances, which I suppose is the big sort of caveat to all of the kind of positivity for that first half. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought we played we played really well, um, and was just very pleasantly surprised. Uh, and then a sort of all hell broke loose, I suppose, in the second half, uh, losing Angus Gunn. Um, obviously, sort of further complicated things with having a goalkeeper. It was a stranger to most of us, sort of in goal, um, and a stranger to the goal, it seemed as well. <coughs> Excuse me, at points. Um, and I think, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it became more about, I suppose, the bad choices that we have been making sometimes and the absolute sort of horror of 
post substitution making and and where the team seems to be so yeah it was it was really dispiriting quite confusing um and quite eye opening i think to sort of the the state of the squad yeah um i think you've covered it pretty well there um we move on <laughs> yeah i think we're we're done let's talk about todd um no, I'm just going to let you go, Dan, to be honest, because I think we could take this in any number of directions. So, um, I mean, I can narrow it down for you if you like. But uh, what was the what was the thing that sort of stood out to you most in how we lost that game? Uh, oh, I mean, it, it feels like that was Wagner's Wagner's lost us that game. It felt like um, a with the setup, the original setup, and b with the sort of the late substitutions and then potentially the wrong substitutions. Um, currently, the way well all season the way we've set up with worked seemed to work perfectly with Barnes and Sargent. I think it was a really nice tight fit. Um, Sargent Barnes were sort of perfect at dropping back into midfield, creating a really solid midfield, uh, which meant Kenny and Sarah didn't uh, have to do all the running around and leave massive gaps because they don't have anyone else alongside them, and that also meant there was no pressure on two rather slow centre backs. Um, What's happened since Sergeant and Barnes has gone is that we've just tried to replicate that system, but without the same personnel, uh, unfortunately. Um, and I guess, you know, like uh, anyone who's maybe put on a little bit of a weight at any point over their life, rather than sticking to the uh, same size shirt or jumper or trousers you're trying to wear, you, you just go up a size. You just make yourself comfortable. Whereas Wagner <laughs> is absolutely trying to squeeze himself into some size eights right now. And it's not working. Sargent and Barnes worked up top. Any number of uh, the combinations up top means we can't play that system because we don't press as well without Sargent and Barnes, which puts extra pressure on um, Sarah and McLean and then extra pressure because of that onto our centre-backs as well. Um, so it's a bit of a mess. And it feels like um, Wagner's now got to the stage where he's just incredibly uh, sort of stubborn about keeping this. Uh, and I get the principle of sticking to the system. They train the system every single day. But when you don't have the players to play that system effectively, then maybe change that. And, you know, you have got options. A lot, a lot of us, I think, were surprised not to see Forshaw start on the bench. Uh, sorry, start on in the starting <laughs> eleven to shore up uh, that midfield. Um, and even more surprised when it was clear that Leeds were really sort of dominating through the centre of the park, as they did in the first half, but then continued to do in the second half that we didn't bring him on earlier to shore things up as well. So I just think it, need, it needs changing um, uh, in terms of the system to get out the best of the current players while, while there's still time. But I'm not sure Wagner looks like he's going to do that because he didn't do that at the end of last season either. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the thing. There are still positives there, but there are some glaring weaknesses. And actually, um, it, it, I, I can't quite weigh this up with the defence in that no one's conceded more goals than we have. We're in the bottom three for XG. Uh, I think only Plymouth and Rotherham are worse than us. who both beaten us, by the way. Um, and only Blackburn have uh, conceded more, have had more shots on their goal. And yet, uh, it feels like Yanulis and Gibson are playing as well as they have done in years. Um, well, certainly, I would say, since um, they, their first season under Farker. Stacey and Duffy both look like good additions. So I think we could probably agree on that. And McLean and Sarah are, you know, do an excellent job at the base of the midfield and have done all season. And and those six and Gunn have played nearly every game. I think Yanulis has missed one and Gunn will probably not be available tomorrow. 
So I think what you've hit on, Dan, is it feels like the two main issues are probably not those individuals, but the way we're set up and the fact that we're set up for a system that doesn't suit the attacking players. And because we're so intent on attack being sort of first line of defence, if you like, that we seem to have lost something from that. I mean, it's interesting. I've seen I've seen some different kind of theories as to why we lost that game. One of which being, you know, a few people saying on Twitter, why did we drop so deep uh, in the second half and let Leeds come onto us? I thought it was the opposite problem. I thought it was quite clear that that we were we kind of got away with 2-0 and yet we continued to press them high up. And I just had a little look back at the first goal, which was sort of the key turning point in the game. If you look where Leeds win the ball and when Ruta gets the ball, you've got seven players standing in the Leeds half, Norwich City players who are out of the game. And suddenly <laughs> it's three on three. And as you rightly said, what you don't want, you know, Gibson and Duffy will will head the ball and clear the ball and block the ball for you all day. That's what they did the entire second half uh, against Coventry. Um, in one sense, <laughs> that didn't go so well for Gibson. But what you don't want to have is them running back towards their own goal. And to, to be honest, I just think the tactics were were naive. And actually, like you say, you didn't adapt to the situation of the game. There's nothing wrong sometimes with saying, right, we're 2-0 up, let's hold what we've got. But I don't know if he can coach in that way. And, and that is going to be a problem against the better teams in this division. Uh, yeah, as, that happens at 0-0, at losing 1-0, at losing 2-0, at winning 1-0, losing, uh, winning 2-0, is those massive gaps with your fullbacks high up the pitch. Mm. And poor old Duffy and Gibson, who are very capable centre-backs at this level, um, completely exposed because we're not playing the kind of football that gets the best of our centre-backs. And McLean and Sarah have been really, really good this season. And yet our midfield gets dominated over and over again because they've got no support in there. Um, and I don't know, like, really, what do we know about football compared to what David Wagner knows about football? Absolutely zero. But there's got so I'd really, I would like to know the reason why he sticks to this. Obviously, believes in his system. There's absolutely a system that has to work, that works only when everyone's incredibly intense huge amount of power, some really great mobile, fast centre-backs, uh, which, which you know, all respect to them, <laughs> they are neither mobile nor fast. Um, and also uh, really, really pressing forward players, which we are missing at the moment. So, yeah, it just feels like... Um, <laughs> it feels like you might get the occasional really thrilling game like we did on Saturday, and for the neutral, it must have been a really good game. But mostly, you're going to get hammered because you're getting hammered in the central centre of the park and that's where games are won and lost. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, against Leeds especially, you kind of know what their strengths are going to be. So, it, it, yeah, again, it just seemed a little bit naive. Um, I mean, I didn't want to go this early on this conversation, but that's where we are. And Robot Canary has, has introduced themselves by saying, evening, everyone, Wagner out to you all. Um, I mean, I would, I would say this is the... The first, probably the most pressure he's been under because, as you say, Dan, it felt like he was culpable for that defeat. So, I, Zoe, I don't know where you are on the Wagner out scale from kind of happy, clappy, mildly indifferent to storming on the pitch and throwing your season ticket um, at him. Well, you know me; I'm a classic uh, happy clapper, uh, really. I, you know, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to be sort of baying for blood. I don't think, but at the same time. Um, I think the thing with Wagner is that he's bought himself a bit of time, good feeling, whatever that is, in a way that Dean Smith didn't, because he seems like such a nice man. Um, he's really tried to sort of um, endear himself to 
to the fans like he you know he he obviously does work really hard to to get stuck into being Norwich City manager and you know there's a lot to respect about that um and I really you know really really want him to do well and some of the you know last time we we were on feels like you know decades ago that we were taught you know we were in a really positive <laughs> mood talking about how we're probably going to get promoted and it's all going to be great um when we play well under him we look really good it's really exciting football you know you can start to feel some of the memory of what it's like to you know to be a good championship side under him but the inconsistency these big spells of not winning games um the seeming sort of lack of getting the best out of some of our players you know if we get to the end of this season it carries on like this and we've had Gabby Sarah for the whole season and and you just sort of think you know of what might have been in terms of what we could have seen with him um yeah it's a bit concerning and yeah well I'm not going to say <laughs> like sack him sack him sack him I think um, and I, I, I've obviously got no idea who I would say should be Norwich City manager, but um, it's a. It, at the moment, it feels like something that needs nipping in the bud. And whether that is, you know, being a bit more flexible and trying new things, or it is trying something new in terms of the manager, I don't know. But um, yeah, from the end of last season to where we are now, there's some really worrying things going on. Um, and, you know, as time goes on, if we carry on being a very average championship club, we, we know all the problems that come with that in terms of attracting players, attracting managers that want to come and work with us and all of those things. So, um, yeah, it feels like it needs to be addressed in some way. Um, what that way is, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Dan, where do you where do you stand on the, on the Wagner debate? <laughs> if there um... is such a thing. It's we did start the season really well, and with you know with his starting eleven, I think he gets a really good tune out of that team. But you know, with, how many teams are lucky enough to have that starting eleven throughout and in, in the majority of a season? Um, and we did see on Saturday again that you know, attacking wise, we clicked. Well, first half we did. We beat the press really well, but then. Daniel Farker's always bad at setting up presses. So, you know, probably one of the easier teams in the division to beat the press. Um, we moved it really well. Hernandez, despite nearly gifting Leeds two goals, look, looked as sharp as he did last season again. Rowe was obviously good. So when it works, it looks like we can we can attack pretty well. And there's mitigating circumstances. Losing, you know, your, your strike partnership uh, so early on and for so long is, you know, uh, you, you just have to wonder if, say, Farker had lost... Emmy and Pookie for six months of the season together, or if Lambert had lost Holty and Wes, would we, you know, we would have struggled. We, but I'd imagine those two managers would have found a way to adopt, adapt rather. But I suppose the biggest concern for me is if you replace Wagner, you're bringing in a manager who has to deal with uh, six wingers in the squad. No, <laughs> no creative number 10s. I suppose, you know, you could potentially count Nunes and Sarah there, but they both really prefer playing deeper. Um, you've got aging centre-backs um, and you've got no defensive midfielder. So, we and we, you know, we spoke about this, I think, at the end of last season, that like if you keep Wagner uh, and recruit to what makes a good Wagner team, which is lots of strikers, uh, sorry, lots of pressing forwards, lots of wingers, um, not a lot of little creative players, um, then you're left with, well, you're recruiting, then surely you need a manager who's going to fit that. And there aren't many coaches like that because it's a really hard system to get right. So if you get rid of Wagner, 
I don't see it returning to, you know, sort of or immediately improving. I suppose there are options now. Forshaw's in and Kenny's in as well. Like you've got options of playing uh, both of them as sort of deep line uh, midfielders, a bit like uh, Varka did with Kamara and and Ampadu. Um, but, you know, it's a bit of a mess. Short term, it's a bit of a mess because we've got a manager who can't get a tune out of us at the moment. And long term, it's a bit of a mess because we've got a really sort of messy recruitment policy. Um so yeah, uh, I don't know. I I would get rid of him. <laughs> he, he what we won what one in eleven at the end of last season or two in eleven, and now we've oh, lost lot five of our last eight or something like that. Um, most managers would be gone by now, and and probably rightly so. I I like him Wagner, <laughs> and I like that he believes in his system, but it's uh, it's a system that's not going to work until Sargent's back, and by the time he's back, the season's gone. Well, there we go. <laughs> I mean, we we might well have given up on the podcast by then, so uh, so that'll be that'll be an issue for for someone else. Um, I mean, I, I I would concur actually with the fact that I, I genuinely think everything else aside that we probably played out from the back, even even against the Farker presses as well as I've seen us do it under Wagner in that first half. Like we we were really actually very good and and not kind of baying to the you know. Angus was just standing with the ball at his feet saying, well, come on then, and, and not kind of baying to the fact that people were inevitably telling him to to, to kick it forward. So I, I, it does still feel like there are things that work. Um, obviously, we've got Sunderland and Borough to come in the opposite order, and we'll come on to that. Uh, <laughs> I, suppose the, I suppose the flip side of this, and maybe the argument to keep Wagner, is that maybe this squad just isn't that good. I mean, I think we probably ought to talk about the substitutions. Um, Tony Gary, spring it, friend of the pod, obviously. Don't want to, don't want to kind of bail the guy out, but uh, over the last two games, um, we've, he's been on the pitch for 120, he's been off the pitch, I should say for 122 minutes. And we've won that collectively three nil. And in the 58 minutes he's been on, we've lost four nil. I mean, that, is obviously yeah. kind of I mean he's he's not the sole issue but I think it probably points to a slightly wider problem of when Leeds are bringing Bamford and Nonto off the bench um we're bringing kind of Wang and and Fastnacht off the bench I I don't maybe this squad just isn't deep enough um but then if that's the case maybe don't make the substitutes that you're making and try and ride the the same 11 players out I don't know if that can work yeah, I think, well, first of all, I, I refuse to bow down to the, the pressure of Patrick Bamford as some sort of higher power. <laughs> um, but uh, I think you're right in terms of, it was it was more the order of everything, I think, on, on Saturday, bringing Spring it on first um, ahead of, of Forshaw when that seemed to be what we were crying out for, as Dan said earlier. Um, and yeah, I, I think what's quite weird is, quite how bad it does look when we've made two three outfield substitutions how much you know it would be interesting to see sort of how how much by a percentage it gets worse because it does really feel like like all hell breaks loose like there was these points in the second half where we didn't seem to be in any kind of formation people didn't really seem to know where where they were going and yeah I mean leads were causing chaos in the in the same way that we used to do that a long time ago um and that can confuse you, especially when you're under a lot of pressure. But, um, you know, we haven't got a big enough squad for a lot of these players to understand that they're probably going to be playing a role off the bench, you know, during the week to think about what that looks like sort of as they're preparing for the game. 
it, it sort of feels like they're coming on and and have no thoughts on you know the way it's going to go and how they're going to arrange themselves um and yeah I, it's not necessarily who we're bringing on although it would be nice if perhaps you know obviously if we had more fit players and you know it doesn't look start to look quite so weak our bench but um yeah it was the lack it's the lack of organization and perhaps the order or the seeming randomness in which it happens like sometimes you know just three people will suddenly appear at once and it's like I don't know yeah it's sometimes they come on for players that are actually doing you know pretty well and look like they've got still legs uh to go to go further into the game it it's just it's that it's at that point where you think oh things could go very wrong here and they did go very wrong on Saturday and it's not the first time so yeah I'm not I'm not sure what they're doing <laughs> when they're training t- to make this be such a significant problem like how what are they ignoring during training to make this happen yeah and it's it's the it's the compulsion to at, at all costs get five subs on the pitch it's like a kind of addiction that it must happen huang must come on for Ida with 10 minutes to go because otherwise i haven't used all my five subs and if i don't do that then i've done something wrong it's uh it's it's slightly slightly odd to me, but uh, maybe maybe we won't have to put up with it that much longer, um, and maybe the next guy will be even worse. Um, I, I, one thing one thing I don't know how he could be worse than five. Somehow manipulate a concussion sub and make it six. Um, so I suppose the one thing obviously that rubbed it in even more is that well in JT's words the one manager who could get Norwich playing great football again was at Carrow Road on Saturday I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about Wagner and not Wagner so apologies if I'm putting words in your mouth but, uh, <laughs> JT and Jeff Lindell says understandable angst for what happened against Leeds how much of added angst came from it happening against Wagner Dan um, it was nice to see him again I thought and uh, you know all the hallmarks of a our performance, as you say, not a great press, inability to defend set pieces, but ultimately somehow finding a way to win. Yeah, I mean, maybe JT was talking about Brian Gunn, actually, because he was at Carra Road and <laughs> maybe he could get us get playing great football uh, again. Was Neil um, Adams there? I presume Neil was there as well. Neil Adams would have been there, I guess, yeah. Um, so, yeah, lots of options to choose from there. Um, just one quick thing on the substitutions, actually, is that a, lo- a lot of people, and you referenced it, is that, you know, they're obviously bringing Nonto off and Bamford off. Nonto, at Premier League quality, Bamford, sort of that, you know, Premier League so championship quality, but, and they have a better squad than us, Leeds, doing a better bench than us. But we're still bringing off, we could have brought off, or bring on rather, Sainz, Fashnak, no, Fashnak, Huang, Nunes, all play regularly for their countries and, you know, countries who are good at football and get, you know, regularly qualified for World Cups and can get deep into tournaments as well. Got Sainz, who everyone is really excited by. And we've got Adam Forshaw, who Bielsa said was his best player at Leeds United. So as better benches go... Sorry? <laughs> better than Bamford. Better, even better than Patrick Bamford, yeah. Uh, and Sam Byram. And uh, we... Um, so we, we have a better bench than most teams do in the Championship, or at least better bench on paper that you'd like to think a manager could utilise uh, in a slightly more, um, uh, slightly smarter way that, than is being used at the moment. And you'd like to think, although Farker got a lot of stick in the Premier League, probably quite rightly for his substitutions, but equally our bench really was quite bad in the Premier League. He would he used to affect a lot of games in the Championship for, uh, for Norwich. And what he would always do is when we're chasing games, change to the three at the back, put a winger as a, as a wing back, 
and we'd go and win a game, which is exactly what happened for Leeds. But Dan James at left back, uh, left wing back, went three at the back, and it and it turned it around as well. Um, so yeah, it was kind of it felt very familiar um, the way that Farker suddenly turned it around. Yeah, and and I think it was a stark contrast to this time last year in the championship when I think we were looking at teams and players and going, you know, what is this level that we've dropped to? I think I think it was you know Leeds were good despite their failings and Somerville uh, was was just fantastic I thought and obviously scored I think was probably well maybe not the best player on the pitch but certainly one of them before he scored the two goals but um, yeah and, yeah. and Ruter and Pirro are, are yeah. very classy and the kind of players that Farker will absolutely get the best out of as well you'd think yeah I mean you could say that in their chase to catch uh, Ipswich in second spot we've uh, you know, we've we've done the decent thing by completely folding there. Uh, maybe it was all done by design. Um, was there anything else on Leeds on Wagner? I feel like we've we've covered most of it. But um, go on, Zoe. Well, uh, just just on Farka. Uh, to, oh to... yes, sorry. You even teed me up for this before the podcast. Just, I mean, I did the one thing that I've prepared for in this entire time I've been on this podcast. <laughs> um, just on Farka, it. It was interesting that he said after the game that he hadn't quite known what to expect and how he was going to feel. I think um, maybe it took some of the rest of us by surprise as well, just just what it felt like. I think, um, you know, I've certainly been guilty in the past of, you know, perhaps putting a bit of a brave face on it, a bit of bravado around, you know, he's not the manager now, let's move on, you know, let's not think about it. Um, but seeing him again... Um, you know, it's so he's so familiar, uh, you know, in his mannerisms, the way he stands, the way he walks, um, you know, and it, it really brings it all flooding back, I suppose, in terms of in terms of what he did for the football club. And I think, you know, we knew it at the time, especially in 1819, that things like that don't happen very often. And, and men like that coming into a club and absolutely changing the fabric of what the club is. That is a generational thing that he did with Norwich City, you know, he and the team that he built, you know, the players as well. But they absolutely changed for that time what it felt like to be a fan of Norwich City, the way that we expect the team to play, the way they did play, the way the fact that we were winning, you know, the fact that, you know, there's two trophies there that in very fundamental sort of big part of that. But I think that, you know, his emphasis on entertainment, of enjoyment, of what it was to watch football and what they wanted to bring to us as supporters, you know, his manner, the way that he was with the fans, that absolutely changed the club. And what we are seeing now is that we have been, we have been changed by that. And now we're not quite sure how to, to mend ourselves after he's gone. He has left such a gaping chasm, I think, in terms of, of everything he brought to the club. You know, Dean Smith was obviously the wrong person to fill that gap. David Wagner is doing some of the things uh, that, you know, that perhaps Farker did without necessarily the things that you need on the football pitch. And, you know, he, um, we will talk about him for, for years and years to come. And I think sort of seeing him, you know, not wanting, not wanting to celebrate, applauding the fans, that was such a lovely moment because, you know, I think, what it always felt like and you know it, it can be very easy to sort of as, ascribe a personality or an emotion to men that we are just watching from a distance you know from a long way away but I think you know you really understood that it had been both ways 
you know, he really cared about being Norwich City Manager. We really cared about him being Norwich City Manager. And the real sadness of it all at the time was whether it was the right reason or the wrong reason that he lost his job. It happened sort of so suddenly and so unexpectedly at that moment. And it meant and we never got that chance to say goodbye. We never got that kind of feeling like this is definitely the end or he's definitely going to leave us or, you know, all of those things. When Paul Lambert was manager, you know, there, it, constantly a feeling, well, you know, he'll ditch us eventually. He'll go on to do whatever he wants to do. Not quite turned out like that, but, you know, we always knew he would leave us eventually. I think with Farker, that was less, it was a bit more blurred lines, I think. Um, and yeah, to, to have him suddenly not there anymore when he had had such a big part to play in the club, I think that's probably affected everybody even more than most people will you know, care to admit. And um, to have that chance to say goodbye was really lovely. Obviously, we've got to move on. You know, it's football. It carries on. There's always another game. There's always another manager. And again, there will be a manager in the future. That makes us all feel like that again, hopefully. But um, it was really nice just to remember that kind of generational impact that he had on the club. Um, and, you know, best of luck to him for the future. Hopefully, don't have to see him again too many times because it's a lot to deal with. But, um, yeah, I think it was just a nice opportunity for everybody to say goodbye. Very well said. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like when you finish a box set like Sopranos or Succession or something like that. And you think, well, that was great, but I don't know if it will ever get this good again. And then, you know, it's like, I don't know if like, CSI Miami Dean Smith is going to quite hit the same but um, <laughs> yeah um, it was uh, it was nice to see him back um, regardless of that um, we don't have a sting for uh, for Twangter um, things we're not going to talk about just to clarify for those who are who are new um, and it has been a while uh, I, I've said this before but it has been a while since we last did a podcast and quite a bit has happened so some of this stuff may deserve more time than we're actually going to give it but you know let's at least acknowledge it and maybe trailing this by saying we're not going to talk about them will be reasonably accurate this time um Norwich City have a new sporting director or they will have by the 27th of November Ben Napper uh, loan and pathway manager at Arsenal um, so him and Neil will have something to talk about, presumably. Um, <laughs> assuming responsibility for the club's player trading and development activities, um, whatever they are. Um, uh, before that, Napper had spent nine years uh, leading the performance analysis department at Arsenal. So a good, good numbers guy, working closely with key senior personnel across first team and academy operations. I am reading this from the club's official website. <laughs> um does do we what I mean, you know, apart from the fact that he looks disconcertingly younger than I think I am. In fact, I, I mean, he, he certainly looks younger than I am. I don't know. If, I don't know if he actually is. Um, d are we positive about this? Obviously, it, it will spell the end of Stuart Weber from a Norwich City perspective from that date as well. Um, Dan, how do you how do you feel about Napa? Do you have any feelings towards it? Uh, well, well, like you, after seeing his photo, um, obviously got uh, mildly depressed at how young he looks. Although, you know, like a lot of people, he may be using a younger photo than than he actually is. Um, I guess, I mean, it's it's an unknown, but I suppose it's the kind of appointment I like us making when it comes to coaches as well. Sort of uh, someone who's come from nowhere, no one expected the news to be announced. We don't know a lot about him. It's the kind of appointment a club of Norwich's size should be making. Um, he's come from a pretty high, I don't want to use the, that term, high performing, but um, 
Well, I mean, I think he sold it to get where he is today, hasn't he? Um, uh, but yeah, I think um, I mean, he's come from obviously one of the sort of best run clubs in Europe, which can only be a good thing. Um, uh, what I'm slightly sceptical about is the, this handover period. Um, I, I'd rather hit a new person come in uh, with an, their new broom immediately. You know, they don't need Stuart Weber there to show him the ropes, I don't think. I think he should come in and assess those himself, um, which again goes back to it being slightly awkward that um, we've got uh, two sets of married couples running this club and uh, Stuart Weber's wife is still going to be there showing him the ropes as well. I'd rather he come in and um, have his own identity and bring his own ideas to it without the sort of pressure of Stuart Weber looking over his shoulder and Zoe Weber looking over his shoulder like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it seems like on the surface of it, a good appointment. Arsenal were really uh, gutted to lose him by the sounds of it. They speak very highly of him. Um, and I've already seen some people uh, talking about him bringing in Jack Wilshire as our new manager as well. He was <laughs> apparently doing excellent things with the Arsenal Academy and does feel like the kind of manager uh, we should be going for as well. Someone slightly unknown and up and coming rather than pinching other people's uh, managers who have passed their sell-by date. Well, that would mean we would be Jack Wilshire's Norwich City, and I, I don't, I don't know if I can handle that. Um, <laughs> well, at least, at least you could probably put to bed uh, that goal that always gets replayed that Arsenal scored against that uh, Jack Wilshire scored against us, which was obviously fluky because it involved two, <laughs> it involved two no look uh, back hills where they had no idea where the ball was going to end up. So he could come in, put that to bed, get the Norwich fans on his side, and uh, turn things around. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice that you think that that's going to be put to bed and not replayed endlessly. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, let's hope so. Sorry, go on, Zoe. Uh, the big question, if he's, you know, a big numbers man, is has he been in touch, Steve, uh, <laughs> as Norwich's premier numbers man at the moment? Well, you know, he knows where to find me at, <laughs> at, at NCFC Numbers, if you happen to be listening, Ben. Um, and, you know, obviously we've given some sound tactical advice as well of, of you know, the kind of managers and recruitment um, I'm, I'm here for all your data analysis needs. Um, we can't lose two hosts of on the ball in, in <laughs> the session. Oh, no, I, I'd, still, I'd still come back for this. I've, <laughs> this is this is all I've got, um, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder whether um, part of the um, part of the job application process was literally like, so what does your wife do? Could 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 she be on the board in a couple of years as well? You know, is there, is there any openings there? Um, and I also like the idea of him using a much younger photo, like uh, like people do on on LinkedIn and stuff. Um, usually, like newspaper bylines as well. There's usually a good couple of decades between uh, the reality yeah. of the situation. Yes, and then you see them in real life, and you're like, it looks like them, but it can't be. It can't be. Um, also kind of backroom, uh, while we're in the backroom stuff, um, the Atanasios have uh, bought another stake in the club, um, which means that Delia and Michael are no longer majority shareholders. Again, I don't know how much there is to say on this, how much, um, you know, are we financial experts or not? But uh, it feels that we should address uh, the fact that um, their Norfolk FB Holdings Group uh, will now own 40% of the club, the same as Delia and Michael. There is believed to be an agreement uh, meaning Delia and Michael will remain in control of the day to day running of the club until at least January 2026. So we're keeping our married quota up. Um, <laughs> does anyone have anything of note to say about that or should should it just move on? Just just give me a signal if you don't want to. 
as, a, as somebody who got only got a C in GCSE maths, I don't feel like I'm qualified to talk about <laughs> cash, anything money number related. But you know, as safe self-styled NCFC numbers, Steve, I'm sure you've got a long hot take about this, haven't you? Absolutely. Uh, that will be for the uh, that'll be for the high performance podcast, though, because uh, obviously, <laughs> um, you know, it's all as all um, as all top matters or high performance matters should be. Um, I'm, think, I'm here for think, financial uh, advice as well. Obviously, I'm just touting myself around tonight. Do you think Jake Humphrey's a little bit gutted he wasn't considered for the new sporting director role at, at Norwich City? I mean, that would be the moment that I would uh, hand in my season ticket. I think <laughs> I'd be on the pitch and throwing it. Um, <laughs> Well, anyway, we we will uh, try and follow. I mean, that's that's a kind of we need Michael here type story. So uh, hopefully he can give us some sort of uh, lowdown as much as he has one these days um, uh, when when he returns on that. Um, new deal for Josh Sargent uh, here for another five years. Uh, let's hope most of that is spent on the pitch um, and he's not going to be forever one of those players like... Uh, Isaac Hayden, who who was better when he wasn't playing, and we were just willing back, and and then he played. Um, and he hasn't got let, a club, has he? Isaac Hayden, or no. have, have I missed that? Did Newcastle did let him go? Didn't they? Yeah. Is that right? Hmm. And I, I feels like an opposite moment to mention Jacob Murphy as well. Just, just absolute madness. A goal and two assists. I, I mean, I couldn't couldn't be more pleased for him. He just looks like he's Isn't enjoying it? every yeah. single minute of it. Isn't it lovely? Uh, and it's also very heartwarming that uh, Josh Murphy on uh, Instagram always congratulates him as well. And it seems very well-meaning, you know, and obviously he's struggling a little bit in his career and not getting in the first team at Oxford United while his twin brother is playing in the Champions League and storming it for Newcastle United in the Premier League. It's just lovely to see. It's uh, it's, pr- it's probably going to be Norwich City's uh, feel-good story of the season. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, uh, in uh, in partnership with the with the with the PIF. Um, sorry, yeah, uh, sorry, Isaac Hayden has moved to uh, Standard Liège. Oh, okay. Well, who knew? Um, who did know? Let's um, <laughs> let's hope there are no no nippy attacking players in the uh, Belgian Premier League for, for the sake <laughs> of Isaac. Um, should we talk about Todd? I feel like yeah. that's what we're, we're all waiting to do. Um, so yes, for those who don't know Todd Campwell. Um, who uh, is now Rangers? Similar, similar level of uh, football to standardly age. Sorry, Hodgie, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> spoke on the Beautiful Game podcast um, for an hour and forty-five minutes. I mean, if you think we go on, good God! Uh, and that came out last week. Um, I, I, we won't replay replay the entire podcast, but some select uh, quotes. Um, I was like a bad egg. This is him speaking, by the way, not me. Um, I'm a good egg. I spent nearly two to three months in the uh, under-23 setup, which after what I had achieved at Norwich, it was barbaric. Great word. (laughs) I felt like I had all my respect, honour and achievements stripped away from me. Um, And uh, also there was a big team in Germany, which was immensely close. I was waiting on that and it didn't manifest. I'd spoken to them directly and their sporting director, and I thought it was going to be a career-changing move. Um, It was Bayern Munich. I like this sort of Colleen Rooney-esque way. I don't know if that was actually how he said it on the podcast. Um, well, I also like the fact that he was obviously waiting to be asked which German club it was. It uh, wasn't asked, so it was Bayern Munich. Yeah, or, or he just, you know, I mean, I don't want to accuse him of anything, but 
may have just made the whole thing up and then that was the first German club he could think of. You know, who, who knows? <laughs> That's just a version of it that could have happened. Um, and finally, uh, I have a message to the young boys that you can come through, you can be expressive, you can be yourself, you can have blonde hair, you can drive a nice car and you can come from Norwich. You don't need to be from Chelsea to do that. Um, as, as a blonde person yourself, Zoe, is this something that you can relate to? And, you know, Norwich is my birthplace on my passport. So I'm, you know, part of the way to success. Uh, part, according part to of the problem, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all absolutely baffling. Like, you know, I think I've said several times on this podcast that I, he fascinates me as an individual. I've, I've had moments of feeling very sorry for Todd, uh, feeling very concerned for him, uh, feeling very confused by him, feeling very amused by him. Um, he is someone that has it would seem very little time for self-reflection um despite sort of preaching a lot of kind of you know live laugh love type messaging um he he doesn't seem to think about you know why he was in that situation at Norwich you know what 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 he might have done better what he might have done to try and alleviate the situation there doesn't seem to be any of that. Um, and he's obviously holding on to a, an awful lot of resentment, which um, can't be good for anyone. Um, and, you know, he's he's threatened uh, since he left the club that it would all come out, you know, all the truth would come out. I presume this is the truth coming out. Um, and yeah, it, it does seem largely fabricated slash uh, perhaps embellished, I would say, as a story. Um and yeah, I think for his sake, he, he probably one needs to sort of to think about, um, you know, how that has impacted on him and how he can come out of it a better player and a better and a better teammate. And um, and also, yeah, maybe just move, move on. Um, he's not that young anymore. He you know, he should be a bit more mature in the way he's approaching life as a prof professional footballer. Um, but yeah, I am still here for all of the Instagram content because it is great. <laughs> yeah i mean if if this is the truth coming out then um what what a what a disappointment i was, <laughs> I was really hoping for something more than bayern munich made an offer for me um but uh who knows maybe there will be more to come but i think as you say zoe um probably best that he moves on and and maybe we should too um uh, although let's let's face it we're probably not going to but for now let's move on um just a bit of uh international watch um angus and kenny and maybe grant hanley are hopefully all going to the euros which is uh which is exciting especially if you're scottish um obviously kenny was it the euros kenny missed out didn't he last time um and angus wasn't scottish at that point so um so uh good for them uh maybe we'll get hodgie on uh to talk at length although as i said out loud it feels like a bad idea um and johnny maybe, Rowe, maybe when they've been bundled out of the group stages we <laughs> that, would, that would be a much more that would be a much more entertaining time um but you know they're, obviously they're going all the way this year if you uh, believe some uh johnny Rowe scored his first goal for england under 21s uh the best way to do it as well in a 9-1 win <laughs> <laughs> If only more of our games could be a bit like that. Um, and of course, the, uh, the the Nunez red card for Chile, uh, which involved a lot of a lot of prodding. Um, 
What a great. Yeah, there was a, the, as I think I said to you before, Steve. Actually, it was like the mild prodding of someone who couldn't quite believe the person in front of them was a, a physical being. Like he thought it was some sort of uh, hologram or something. Just really <laughs> gentle prodding. It's like, oh no, it turns out you are real, and yet you are sending me off now for, <laughs> for doing that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's good to see Road. Uh, performing as well uh, not just at Carrow Road and on Norwich's stage as well just sort of really lighting up uh, football putting them on notice what what a talent he is as well and thank goodness for him because he's been along with Sarah a real sort of shining lights in the season so far uh, amongst a little bit of gloom yeah um, and to, to go back to to uh, Nunez, I very much enjoyed in Wagner's press conference uh, him saying twice today, "What happens in Chile stays in Chile." <laughs> like, like some sort of hangover incident took place while he while he was out there. Uh, but let's assume he was referring to to the red card. Um, and I mean, this is the problem with with doing these so infrequently. This feels like an age ago, and literally everybody in the world will have seen this by now. But I think it is worth mentioning one more time the uh, the World Mental Health Day video that the club put out. And um, in 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 the midst of uh, how much we seem to have not got right over the last couple of years, uh, just how absolutely kind of spot on that was, and one of those weird rare things on social media where literally everyone was positive about it i mean that almost never ever happens um like i say everyone will have seen it by now i'm sure but um if you haven't it, it genuinely is worth seeking out uh, and i suppose a little reminder that uh, as as funny as it is probably not to be too mean about todd cantwell uh, because you know it can affect people in many different ways can it although he does bring it on himself <laughs> I mean, yes. he is from he is from Norwich, after all. Uh, so, <laughs> fair play to him for uh, making the most of it. You know, just like coming from the favelas of Brazil, uh, what, <laughs> what a what a story it's been. His his rise to prominence. Um, <laughs> what what uh, what what a Wally. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you started off by making a serious yeah, point of saying yeah. we need to be nice to Todd Campbell, and finish, finishing with what a Wally was uh, was probably not the way that you'd intended to go. But, but, <laughs> Yes, I think I think both things can still be true, can't they? Yes. Um, and, yes. and we do genuinely, I think, wish him well uh, with with whatever he does next. Although I do, I am disappointed he didn't touch on that podcast uh, on why he blocked Michael Bailey on on TikTok because <laughs> we've quite got to the bottom of that story, haven't we? <laughs> Michael Bailey's in the rearview mirror film. It's very much like the On the Ball podcast. Left him behind. Not not important anymore. Um, Anyway, uh, was there anything else that we, that I, that we haven't covered uh, just in the general Norwich sphere? I mean, obviously, there have been a lot of games, there have been a lot of goals, mostly in our net, that we haven't mentioned, but uh, they all feel like old news, unless there was anything specific from any of the last sort of four or five weeks. Um, we, we've not really covered the new halftime entertainment and the uh, the jeopardy <laughs> of being with the shot of winning a hot dog, um, <laughs> which uh, is is really quite something. You can win a hot dog, you can win a shirt of a team you don't support, That's and then you can, win, <laughs> you can win the chance to maybe win a holiday. <laughs> my, my brother was asking me at length at halftime, like, what? what link do we have with Las Palmas? And I was like, well, I think it might be in the Canaries. So is, is that the link? They play in yellow, right? That's the, Seems... grand, the Grand Canaries stuff that goes all around the LED boards and stuff. I guess it's to do with that, isn't it? 
Yeah, uh, must I mean, yeah, it, it must be that. It seems seems a bit tight that we can't give away one of our own shirts, though. Although not as tight as just saying you can win a, win a hot dog. <laughs> uh, for, for the next podcast, whenever that uh, may be, um, I'd like you to do some numbering, Steve, uh, comparing the odds of someone actually hitting the crossbar three times in a row and winning the holiday compared to other really unlikely things, you know, dying in a plane crash, being hit by lightning, me playing for Norwich City, maybe. If we could just get a nice list of stuff that's less, or is more likely than hitting the crossbar three times, that would be good. I mean, we have tried literally everyone else up front with Adam Eder, so maybe it'll be you <laughs> next, Dan. I'm putting that as a, as a higher chance than uh, some of the people. I mean... So just- just that just remind is that I meant to say this earlier. Is there anything that screams a guy being too wedded to a system than playing Liam Gibbs? Poor Liam Gibbs as a second striker. <laughs> it, it would have been like like um Alex Neil trying Gary O'Neill as a second striker. Absolutely insane. Well, I mean, you know, if all else fails, get get one of the blokes that like wears hobnail boots and tries the crossbar challenge to, to have a go. Why not? Why not combine? Maybe that could be the prize if you hit the crossbar three times. You get to play up front with Adam Eder. or one um, of the very sweet little kids that does the first sort of uh, challenge at half time as well, and scoring penalties against Captain Canary, who all yeah. look like they've got excellent technique from the penalty spot. Yeah, that's uh, that's nice. Although Captain Canary's there, not trying hard enough. Not trying hard enough. They well, need to learn how to lose. This is important. Right. <laughs> who, who is better at diving quickly to the ground, Captain Canary or George Long? Uh, another, another thing you can uh, possibly work out for next podcast, Steve. I'll work out. I'll work out the XG of uh, of George Long. Maybe maybe after Tuesday. Let's let's not write him off. He literally hasn't started the game yet. <laughs> but yes, early George, evidence. George not uh, going downing instalments. Long. I mean, <laughs> it, you're right. Let's not write him off. Uh, let's uh, not be too mean about it. Like Todd Cantwell, but <laughs> the, the absolutely absolute delight that we saw on uh, social media by Millwall fans when they sold him to us um, uh, quickly came to mind uh, on Saturday. Yes, well, all our other goalkeepers are out on loan, so maybe it will be Captain Canary on the bench um, on uh, on Tuesday. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. Let's talk about that, shall we? Uh, here's, here's, a, here's a sting. This is almost fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, Norwich City have uh, two teams from the North East coming up in the next week, so uh, let's just lazily bunch them both together. Um, Middlesbrough are coming to the Carrot on Tuesday night, which, yes, is tomorrow. Uh, and then it's a trip to Sunderland on Saturday, uh, after which point we'll have played all of the relegated teams and all of the teams who finished in the top six last season at some of the divisions. So, uh, yeah, just gets really easy after this, obviously. Um so we'll be back after the Blackburn game on the 5th of November, but uh, that's so far away that I can't really be asked to preview that one. I hope that's okay. <laughs> uh, we, we can pick the bones right out of that one of the, the two teams who have conceded the most shots in the league. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a thriller. Um, <laughs> is that one on... T- actually, before we do... Is that one on telly? Phil? It's moved that to Sunday, is, isn't yes. it? Yeah, Sunday lunchtime. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I won't get you started on that, actually. Let's <laughs> let's talk about Borough. Um Feels a bit like deja vu from last season, Dan, when they visited below us in the table, but uh, after a bad start, but having suddenly hit form as we've tailed off, uh, I think five wins in a row. So, um, are we going to expect the same outcome as, uh, as last season? Uh, <laughs> well, Middlesbrough at home last season was when I, and it felt a lot of people thought that that was when Dean Smith should have gone, <laughs> I think. Yes. Um, but then it got worse, didn't it, when we went to Riverside and lost 5 1. 
to them last season as well. So <laughs> of all the teams to uh, to face when you're conceding sort of 16 shots each game, then uh, a team in form who've already beaten us and beaten us well last season isn't great. But I suppose what we've been undone by a lot is teams really, really using a lot of pace through the middle, as Leeds did and um, uh, Plymouth certainly did as well. But they have lost Archer and Akpom and... Uh, Ramsey, um, thank goodness. Uh, so they're pro- they're not the same team as they were last season, you know, uh, on paper anyway. But it does seem like Carrick's got them motoring again, um, and I do fear the worst. And I think Wagner's probably been um, uh, had a barrier against a lot of the criticism. I think uh, because our home form had been pretty decent until the Le- the Leeds defeat, and most of our really poor performances have come away from home. But I do think two home defeats in four days might see a proper turn against him. Um, but I don't know, who knows? Like, uh, I'm trying to think of something positive, but uh, maybe we'll get a good lucky 2-0 lead and uh, like Leeds, they'll miss loads of chances and uh, won't bury any of them and we'll, we'll get a nice three points. That's the spirit. Um I was going to mention the fact that we don't have Angus, but I feel like I feel like we've stuck the boot into George long <laughs> enough already. Well, we have, we don't definitely not have Angus, but it's looking likely. So that's that's one probable change. Um, I mean, Zoe, and like, do we do we? I mean, do we try Gibbs again? Sure, surely, not not where he played on Saturday. So uh, like, but then but then. Who else is there? Like, <laughs> help me out here, please. And what and what and what formation are we gonna if we're gonna that too, yeah. play the exact same formation? Then it, you really are very limited in terms of of what else you can do. Um, I'd really like to see Nunez get a game at, at some point. Like if if he's fit and and ready to go, he is someone with a bit of X factor that can you know could re- maybe give us a bit of life. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm also struggling to think about who might play, but um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. It's the championship, isn't it? And uh, anything can happen. Um, we might get a lucky two 0 lead, um, as Daniel <laughs> said. And uh, thankfully, Middlesbrough aren't managed by the ghost of championships past, so uh, perhaps. You know, we won't we won't have the kind of that three goal swing. Um, but yeah, we are not we are not incapable of winning that game. We're not incapable of going to Sunderland and winning. It feels quite unlikely at the moment. Uh, last time we spoke, it felt quite unlikely that we would then basically lose every <laughs> game that we've played. Um, so yeah, things can turn around very quickly. Um, it would be nice to win one of these next two games I think um for everybody's sake um yeah I'm I we could also just as easily not win them and lose them and potentially lose them by quite a few goals so um I guess that's the beauty of this league but also it's you know we're in quite a perilous place right now and it feels like it could very easily swing even further downwards which obviously we don't want to happen uh, at this rate, he might, might, Napa might be coming in too late to even make a decision because, you know, carry on like this and Wagner might be gone. And I suppose because we've spent most of the podcast slagging off him and his <laughs> system, etc. What is for only right to say what I'd like to see against Middlesbrough is a three-man midfield. Sarah 
McLean finally getting some sport in there with Forshaw. And then because we've got six wingers, utilising <laughs> them by having two wide forwards, Sainz and Rowe maybe. And then, you know, uh, either through the middle, which doesn't quite work because we've got two fullbacks who like to bomb on loads. And you don't really do that in that system. But I think it adds a little bit of protection into midfield and also means you can play uh, two of our six wingers and then maybe bring two on at another time and then the final two on uh, for the last five <laughs> minutes, maybe. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, it does feel like the change of system would it would be the right time for that, but I, would, I wouldn't bet on it. I mean, I have to say... I, I think Nunez it feels like the one guy that we haven't tried there. Actually, I think he, when I've seen him, I think he looks like he can press quite well. And if that's what we're lacking, then maybe, maybe that's the missing piece in jigsaw. I'd be surprised if he if he hasn't started by by the end of like in a week's time. I, I, I think I think he will probably get a game, unless of course we do change the system. Um, it just feels like Sarah needs freeing up, doesn't it? I mean, it's a good point actually that you make about um, about the sporting director situation and, and Alex's uh, for, foreshadowing the future by saying it all screams Napper not renewing Wagner's contract come December and the rest of the season being a write-off, 17-18 style, bring back Alan, Irv uh, Alan Irvine. And maybe that's the manager who uh, JT was referring to in the stand. Yeah. We, we don't know. Um but I think, Although, of course, Alan Irvine's Norris City were hammered by David Wagner's Huddersfield Town. So. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's going to get worse. Maybe this is, this is what you're talking about, falling down the table, Zoe. I mean, but I think there is a genuine issue there that if you sack David Wagner now, then unless you kind of bring Narcissus Palacin and say he's going to get the next few weeks, you're asking the guy who's leaving to appoint the next manager. And that feels like a far from ideal situation. So um, I can understand making the pre-announcement, but and obviously this would have been an issue either way, but um, I just feel like we're, we're kind, we kind of want Napa, ideally now, <laughs> to be thinking, who's my next man in? Uh, when is he coming in? Do we know the date? It was end of November, but... The 27th of November. Um, so I don't know how many games we have between them. So we've got, we've got like six. Oh, go on. Yeah, we've got Borough, Sunderland, Blackburn, Cardiff, and QPR, and then Watford on the 28th of November. So okay, so he's got five games. I'm I'm going to say he will still be here by the time Napa comes in. Um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't, given yeah. what we know about us as a football club. I'd be very. Oh surprised. yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, when I was just thinking, you know, when you go for a job interview and you have to do like a task uh, as part of the interview and sometimes you think, are they just going to use this for like their own work after they don't give me the job? <laughs> just wondering maybe if the task for the sporting director was hypothetically, if you were going to appoint a new manager, which one would you go for uh, for Norwich City? Uh, tell us why in 10 slides or fewer. Um, and they're just going to, you know, yoink, we'll have that um, and have him in place by the time you start. Yeah, if, if anyone said Kjetil Knudsen to that, then it's like, yeah, that's, uh, I'm afraid that's not original enough. Quite interesting, potentially, that uh, the last game before he comes in is against the worst team in the Championship or what, the QPR, the worst form team in the Championship. So could we see a Brian Gunn, David McNally situation of Norwich beating QPR 4-0, but the new guy coming in and sacking in three days later? <laughs> Would have rolled it out. That means we'd have Gareth Ainsworth. <laughs> is, that, is that right? I'm trying, I'm trying to wait. Is that how it would work? Um, I mean, that's that's the, the one time that we did act quickly to sack a manager, but that, I feel like that almost doesn't count. That's, it's sort of like 
like Liz Truss's premiership. It, it's <laughs> like it was so short that we just have to ignore it. Um, yes, and then obviously Sunderland follows at the weekend. Uh, the um, is it the Friendly Cup? Apologies, I think it's it's something like that, isn't it? Um, I have to say, I mean that game for me feels like it should be on telly. It feels like we're always on telly when we play Sunderland, and it doesn't feel right that it's a Saturday at three o'clock kickoff. But um, I don't know something about Sunderland away. It's just a great like ground and atmosphere. I think it's all like we'll, we'll probably get beaten, but uh, it's it's one to get excited about. I think. Are you going? Uh, I am not. I'm not getting that excited about it. It sounds like you might be going. So <laughs> maybe I'll move up yeah. there. <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure it's lovely. Um, just a, a couple of uh, more questions on the comments. Um, I'll I'll start with an easy one from Ange. Is Ida a striker? Yes or no? Um, I'm going to say yes. Any advances on that? I I was going to say earlier actually that. I say what if you like about his finishing and some of the things that he misses sometimes but I feel like his hold up play um has really improved like you can see the confidence sort of growing a little bit um in terms of his contribution I think in games when when he's starting now that perhaps we didn't always see before um yeah I'm not going to go overboard <laughs> but yeah I like I, I feel like he is growing as that kind of talisman um in a way that we were hoping that he might a little bit. I, I think he played well on Saturday. I saw, saw more criticism, criticism, criticism of him. Uh, and I think if you're, you know, we're still scoring goals. I don't think he should be solely judged on how many goals he's getting for us. Although he has scored four, I think, which strikes me as not a bad tally for somebody that's not played a lot. Two of them being in a 6-2 defeat, probably uh, <laughs> kind of negates that slightly. Um but yeah, I think he's I think he's doing okay, and he's at the moment um, the the number one striker. Um, I mean, being better than Huang is uh, <laughs> don't know how much of an accolade that is. Um, and then finally, um, Jeff Mann asks, "What's each of yours dream Norwich manager for where we are now?" Brackets be somewhat realistic. I doubt Pep would be too influenced by the, the veggie patch. I mean, to go from Wagner to Pep would be quite the style change, I think. Um, but I, if, I don't know if are we too early on this. I know you've already said Gareth Ainsworth is who you want in, Dan. But um, I, don't, I don't know and if Jack this speculation could wait. <laughs> Apparently, we're, would, we're getting Jack, Jack Wilshire. Wilshire. Yes, I'd say Gareth Ainsworth is closest in hair type to Daniel Farker, the <laughs> current managers out there. Um, so yeah, yeah, stick with Gareth. Maybe Gareth uh, Ainsworth uh, and a Jack Wilshire uh, blend in there. Uh, if, if we can't get hold of those two, uh, and just to you know, just I, I do not want Gareth Ainsworth in. Just to <laughs> that. okay. Yes, before um, the pile on starts on Twitter. Maybe, maybe. maybe yeah. Sorry, God. Dream manager would be Bielsa. Won't happen. Obviously, he's, I'm sure he's very happy managing um, Uruguay, and and then. Uh, just to annoy one of my best mates, the Portsmouth manager, John Messino, who is young and doing very well. They're top of the league and keep scoring 96-minute minute, minute winners. Um, sounds like he's very much an up-and-coming manager. So one to keep an eye on. And we'll probably end up at a club with much more money than Norwich City. <laughs> I.e. Portsmouth. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. feel like he's doing okay. Is there any... any uh... Any particular preference? Or uh, well, we Graham just... Potter is free. We could have him. He's, uh, <laughs> he looking for a challenge. <laughs> looking for a new challenge. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know. I think uh, it would be nice to say that the next, the next 
big Norwich manager is someone that we've never heard of before and is going to come out of nowhere and surprise us all. Um, that That's the ultimate, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, failing that, Gareth Southgate, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Would, would love it, would love it. He, he's, he'll have come out of nowhere. Don't, don't know what he's been doing lately. <laughs> um, maybe we should offer it to Jack Wilshire, but say you do have to grow your hair out like that. <laughs> uh, just get on the Jack Wilshire bandwagon. I mean, you've got to think, surely Gerard can't... It, uh, is nowhere Lampard is nowhere Rooney <laughs> is nowhere really I know he's obviously just joined Birmingham City sure you know there's got to be one England player of that generation who can make it themselves into a decent manager and maybe it's Jack Wilshere hmm. well maybe the guy uh coming tomorrow might uh might be on his on his way uh to that although I don't know if you, we count Carrick because he wasn't one of the uh wasn't one of the lads, really, was he, of that no. generation? Um, or, or Bex, why not? Um, <laughs> it's time for a documentary, you know, what, what, what else is there to do? Um, I think that's probably time. Um, so, yes, we'll uh, we'll call it there. Um, thank you very much for listening. That's all for On The Ball today, the Norwich City podcast uh, that is 10 years away from buying back its own Porsche. You know, I knew I'd already got a Porsche reference in there. Um, <laughs> Please make sure you subscribe to On The Ball if you haven't already, because we will still be doing podcasts. Um, it's free on your usual player. Just search Michael Bailey, whoever that is, Norwich City on your preferred social platform. Don't search whoever that is, just Michael Bailey, Norwich City. Um, ratings and reviews wherever prompted are always hugely appreciated. And if you want to get in touch with any questions or topic proposals, send Michael a direct message on Twitter. See what happens at Michael J. Bailey. Um, so, yes, a big thank you to our guests tonight. Um, Zoe, thank you Thanks. so much. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And it was a pleasure to hear your uh, your Daniel Farker uh, eulogy. Um, He's not dead, though, so that's even better. <laughs> no, well, you know. Uh, he, dead, to he lives, dead to us. Dead to us. He lives on in all our hearts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and Dan, um, hope that felt somewhat cathartic. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Uh, as always, very enjoyable. Yeah, I think it was a good one. Um, I don't know. Do I get to say that if I've hosted, that feels like I'm giving myself a big pat on the back. Um, anyway, I'll let others be the judge. Um, a big thanks uh, for sticking with us, everyone, um, whether you join us live or if you're listening back. We do very much appreciate it. Uh, we will be back after the Blackburn game on the 6th of November, I believe it is. So uh, until then, never mind the danger. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 